right, happy Sunday. Well, I say it every time, but I am so excited to be up here to be back with the family. Uh, My name is Cody Wason. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, for the last three weeks, I have been uh, out. I've been um, with my wife helping her with recovery from surgery. And so I want to give a quick update. First and foremost, uh, she, uh, my wife Kate had surgery about a month ago to remove her tailbone, uh, and it went well, and the recovery has been amazing. Uh, we are so encouraged. So um, 19 months of chronic pain, um, and as of right now, I asked her uh, yesterday what she wanted me to share, and um, she is still recovering from the procedure itself. Um, but the pain that had been plaguing her for 19 months, she doesn't think is there anymore. Uh, it's a little hard to tell with uh, recovering from the actual surgery and, and all the stuff that went on. But she's like, I feel better than I have in 19 months. And so she is still on a road to recovery. Um, she is a mom of our two kids. Uh, not a mom. She's the mom of our two kids. Um, uh, four-year-old Eleanor and two-year-old Shepard. Um, and as you can imagine, it's really hard for her just emotionally. Uh, the things that she's not able to do yet uh, are sit down, like s- sit squarely on her bottom, uh, bend over, or lift things up. So she uh, has to be either standing or laying down, uh, and she can't pick up her kids. And so uh, we are so encouraged by the recovery, um, but we're also praying for a quick and speedy recovery for the, from the actual procedure itself. She's ready, and the kids are ready to start playing with mom again. Um, but, the, but just all considered, um, she's doing amazing. And I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you. It was humbling and powerful to be on the receiving end of the church being the church. Um, like I said, the surgery was four months ago, and we've had people signing up and bringing us dinners, uh, cleaning our house, calling, texting. We even had people sign up, and I, maybe I knew this in an email, but I didn't read it close enough. Uh, but I showed up one day, and someone was mowing our lawn, and it was a little, I was a little taken aback at first, um, and then I realized that people are signing up to mow our lawn, and we feel so abundantly taken care of, taken care of and um, just blessed by this community. So thank you for being the church. Thank you for all the text, all the calls. Um, life is on the up and up in the waste and home. Speaking once again of my wife, today is her 32nd birthday. Um, and she is uh, at home recovering. Um, um, the recovery is a little better than it was yesterday because this morning I went and got her a puppy. So she, uh, when I left for church, she was literally uh, 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 cuddling with the puppy in bed, falling asleep. And so happy birthday to Kate. Uh, she should be back. She wanted me to share that she should be back uh, really soon and is excited to be with everybody. Okay. I feel like I'm like, I've got a long list of like, it's been three weeks, <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know if David Drees is here, but I just want to give him a shout out and thank David Drees. Um, David stepped in and we were all blessed um, by his, not only just, he, he is way funnier than I am, he's a funny guy, um, but he has wisdom and passion and insight. He loves the gospel. He loves Jesus. He loves people. And we were blessed to have him walk us through um, Acts chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. And um, that's where I'm going to come in today. I'm going to pick up where he left off. And uh, I just want to zoom out for a second before we jump in and return us to the heart of this entire series. Uh, If you don't know, we're doing a series called Things Just Got Messy. 
And we've been doing this series ever since Easter. And uh, I'm learning about myself. I do long series. So I hope you guys are okay with that. But we're looking at the early church, the first believers, those who loved Jesus, had been with him, believed his message. And we're looking at what was the DNA and the mission and the values of the church. Because if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, if you were like me uh, and have grown up around the church or in the church, um, it's pretty easy for the church to, to be sterilized. And just to be a, a, a good, just to, to be a Sunday moment where you hope to pull off a good service, you hope to, to leave people feeling good about themselves, you hope to have nice amenities. And church, uh, for over 2,000 years, it can be easy for us to reduce it down to something I don't think it was ever meant to be. So how do we look at the early church and get back to the mission that was at hand, that is still at hand for us today? And the reality is, when you look at the church and the mission and how it operates, it's not sterile, it's not clean, it's not organized. We do our best to organize it, but it's messy, and it can be confusing, it can be hard, but it's worth it, because the mission is that we would carry on the gospel of Jesus to a hurting and broken world, and be the hands and feet, and be devoted to Him, and devoted to each other. So as we jump into Acts 10, that's where we are going, and I, I, I want to assert something here. Uh, I think if you just pull out Acts 10 as a singular chapter, and look at it, I think it's one of the best, like, prepackaged uh, chapters on how things get really messy in the church. Just, it stands alone in how things get messy, but it's not in the way that we've talked about before. We've talked about how the church can get messy. I mean, people were getting killed. It's messy to count the cost of living for Jesus. It's messy to count the cost of being devoted to one another. And it's, it's messy to work out what it looks like to, to be the, the hands and feet to a, a city and, and a world that needs to know Jesus. But what we're going to talk about tonight is what it, how messy it gets when you and I are confronted with our own biases. With our own, uh, we're, we're, we're asked to look in the mirror at what we bring to the table when it comes to the gospel. So, again, before we jump into the text, my last little uh, preamble is I'm going to bring you into a little bit of my story. Uh, I don't know, raise your hand if you loved junior high. Okay, so this is like what I expected. There's a few of us. So, like, like <clears throat> historically, Anytime junior high is brought up, for those of us that went through it, it is not a season of our life that we look forward to going back to. For most people, it is painful. And I, if I talk about it for too long, you might like leave because junior high can scar you and it can do all these things. I am one of the few that if you were to track my social status on a chart, unfortunately, years, uh, grades six, seven, and eight were probably my peak. <laughs> to put it bluntly, I crushed junior high. It was the highlight of my social career. And I don't know if it's because I'm just uh, like naturally inclined to awkwardness. So it was just like I was in my element for those three years. Or I, I, I can't tell you why. But junior high for me was awesome. And I loved it. And I had friends and school came naturally. And I had sport, played sports. And I found out that I was colorblind. Uh, in about fifth, sixth grade, and so uh, I don't know how it took that long, but um, so about that age, sixth grade, my sister, who's four years older, would start, as I was leaving the house, I would go and do like a wardrobe check with her, and she would be like, yeah, that matches, that's fine, you can go, and uh, so I was getting my wardrobe checked, so I wasn't looking as weird as I used to in like fifth grade, and, 
And it was just good, and I had friends, and, and, and my wit, my, my wit was coming into form, my humor, so the adults liked, liked me. I, I'm telling you all, I wish I could go back sometimes. <laughs> so my trajectory in junior high uh, was going up. Now, even though I had a great junior high experience, I can still, 20-something years later, look back on that time in my life and think about the moment that for a lot of you, you probably, when you think about the dread or the pain or the awkwardness of junior high, you can think back to this moment. And it's the moment of walking into the cafeteria. And it is chaos. And I can still picture the cafeteria of Northwood Middle School in Woodstock, Illinois. And it's chaos. Kids, like food's everywhere. Kids are everywhere. All those long tables lined up. And I realized looking back, how many people had an experience that I didn't have? That experience is not knowing where they could go and sit. See, those three years, I knew. I had a place. I had friends. I had my, ch- my choice of tables. I, I, I was, guys, it was awesome. <laughs> it was really good. So I didn't have to struggle when I walked into the cafeteria with where do I go? Who are my people? Do I, can I sit with you? Can I sit with you? I didn't have to do that. That experience came in high school for me. So freshman year of high school was, 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 was great. Sophomore year was great. It was just like a continuation of junior high. I was crushing it. I was like, high school is easy. And then the summer going into my junior year hit. And the summer going into my junior he- year, I uh, quit the baseball team because I didn't like the coach. One of my biggest regrets was the, the, the this is, I'm making myself to be a lot. We had a little small school, and so... So take, that, take this with a grain of salt. But the football coach approached me and asked me to come play for him. I mean, they make TV shows about this. And I said no because I was insecure, and I thought I don't want to come out and, like, be really bad, so I'm just going to protect myself and say no. And I, uh, I had a girlfriend, and the summer going to junior year, I broke up with my girlfriend. And we were in the same friend group. We had uh, all the same friends almost. And when I broke up with her that summer, this weird thing happened. When I showed up the first week of junior year of high school, all my friends had sided with her. And I didn't realize this. So I show up, and I don't know if your high schools were like this. This was, I'm thinking back to high school is weird as I prepared for this message. But we had this thing where all the upperclassmen would show up to school about, I don't know, 20 minutes or so early before first period. And they would all gather around different lockers and in their friend groups and like eat breakfast and wait for first period. No, none of you had that experience. Okay. Not one single person was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, Grace is, yeah, okay, cool. So it was like walking the halls of the upperclassmen lockers was like a continuation of the cafeteria. And you just walk through the halls and you found your people. Oh, I'm going to go eat with them. I'm going to go sit with them and wait for first period. So that first day of junior year, it shows up and I had never been hit with this feeling. I walked down the hall, and I was like, I, I don't think I cried, but I, thinking back on it, I wanted to. I didn't know where to go. Like, the jocks, I wasn't a part of their crew anymore. I, all my friends had sided with the girl that I had broke her heart and dumped for no reason in, uh, that summer. And so I'm walking, and I had nobody. And I remember I went, and I sat, and I found my locker, and there was no one, or, no one was coming to my locker. So I was just by myself waiting for first period. And it was like, Wow. This is actually hard. 
not knowing where, you, where you're supposed to go, not having a place anywhere is actually really hard. And I wasn't emotionally stable enough to deal with it, so about three weeks later, I dropped out. But that's a story for another time. You're supposed to joke. You're supposed to laugh. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I made it. I'm okay. Um, I did drop out of high school, and I'll tell that story another time. But the point of, of kind of bringing you into that window of my world is we all are faced, whether it's in junior high or high school, and maybe it's today, maybe it's showing up to church and walking into the back of a room of a couple hundred people and being like, do, do I belong here? Can I sit? Where can I sit? Where do I go? Are they going to like me? Or is, is it okay that I'm here? And Acts chapter 10 is the story of God breaking in and rewriting the story because for too long his people had reserved seats at his table and told people that they weren't enough for the gospel. And so let's look at Acts chapter 10 in light of what it's like to not have a seat at the table. We're going to start at the beginning. Scott, can I get that water? That's awesome. Thank you. Can you open the water for me? Oh, it's open. Oh, geez. Oh, I'm glad I was strong enough to open it. Okay. While you guys turn to Acts chapter 10, verse 1, I'm going to take a drink. It's okay if you don't have it. We'll have it up on the screen for you. So let's start at the beginning. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Let's pause right there. The story opens, the first character were introduced, and it's already packed with where this thing is going. He was a centurion. So let's just, to, to understand the context of this, this story is taking place, Acts chapter 10 is taking place in Judea. It's Roman-occupied Judea. And this man, Cornelius, is a centurion. A centurion means he has at least 100 soldiers in his command. So this is an a occupying general or, or someone higher up in the military, not just a soldier. He commands a cohort of at least 100. He would have been hated by the Jews that saw him as the enemy that they needed to get rid of. This is why uh, this person represents why when Jesus walked the earth on his minist- in his ministry, many Jews were waiting for him to overthrow guys like Cornelius. They were ready for him to overthrow the Romans that were occupying. And so the story begins with the Roman occupier, Cornelius, but something's a little different about him. It says that he feared God, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually. What you have is a Roman, a Gentile. And just so we know, Gentile and Jew, you read that a lot in Scripture. Essentially, anyone who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. So when it talks about the Jews and the Gentiles, that's like humanity. So what we have is a Gentile, a non-Jew, who's living in Judea, who's commanding the forces that are walking the streets and, 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 and making sure Roman rule is being enforced. And what's happening here is we see that he has been influenced so much so that even though he's not a Jew, wasn't born uh, into the Jewish line, what, isn't culturally Jewish, anything, he's a Gentile who believes in the God of the Jews. And he fears God, but he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have anyone discipling him. He, doesn't, he, he wasn't raised studying the first books of the Bible and memorizing them. So he's just doing the best he can to love God and love people. And here's what happens. 
in verse, uh, let's see, verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? Hold on to that for a moment. Because uh, in a few verses, we're going we're gonna, to uh, talk about Peter. And let's look at how Peter responds when, uh, when God speaks to him. So Cornelius responds, what is it, Lord? And the angel said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So Cornelius sees a vision. God tells him to go send some of his men to a nearby city named Joppa and find uh, Simon Peter and bring him back. So we're going to jump into what happened. We're going to skip two verses where they basically explain that he got two men together and sent them to Joppa. So here we go. Verse 9. Now we're introduced to the next character in the story. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. That's like another fancy way of saying he has a, a vision. And saw the heavens, the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. And then the vision was over and the whole thing was taken up into heaven. So Peter, Peter has a bad habit of saying, what does he say here? Basically, no. So you have the Gentile Roman occupier, what is it, Lord? And then you have the most Jewish person that God could find. We're going to talk about that. And he's like, no, 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 you're wrong. I'm, I, I don't eat that stuff. Don't you remember? You told us not to eat it. So, so for some context here as this story unfolds. First, about Peter. Like I just said, Peter is like Jewish to the core. I mean, in a couple of books of the Bible later, in, uh, in Galatians, I believe, he's going to be referred to by a title that um, we're just not going to take into 2019. He's referred to as the apostle to the circumcised. That's a weird title to give somebody. No one's laughing. This is awkward. Okay. So... We're going to talk about this for a second, just so that maybe next time I make a joke about circumcision, it'll land. <laughs> Jewish men had an outward mark, an outward sign that they belonged to the, the, the men of God, the tribe uh, of God, and it was circumcision. And so literally, he is going to become known as the apostle. It's another way of saying, it's, it's, a, it's a maybe um, less comfortable way of saying, he's the apostle to the Jews. Like the Jews look at Peter and they're like, that's our boy. He's us. He's Jewish to the core. He, 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 he probably memorized uh, the, the first books of the Bible. He was raised in our tradition. He understands our culture and our beliefs. He's Jewish to the core. And when he responds to God and says, no, 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 I'm not going to eat any of that. I've never touched or eaten anything that's common. What he's referring back to is Exodus. And here's why I just want to, we're going to take a moment and make sure we are understand the context of what's happening. But that's why it's so important that we can't just pull a scripture or a line out of this book 
and hold it up and either crucify it or worship it. We've got to understand the entire story. We have a really bad habit of taking things out of context and villainizing people or glorifying people based on something that doesn't go with the story. So if we're going to understand what's happening in this moment between Peter and God, we've got to go back to Exodus. We've got to understand that in Exodus, the, 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 the chapter 2 of the story of the people of God, God gathers a people for himself. And he looks at the landscape of humanity, and nations and tribes have been forming. And what they're doing is all these different tribes have formed And they've got all sorts of traditions. They're making idols. They're worshiping their idols. They're sacrificing children to idols. They're living in a way that that they were never meant to live and would never lead them back to relationship with God. So God says, okay, my plan is at this point in human history, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull a group of people together. They're going to be my people, and I'm going to give them the the rules and, and the laws of how I want them to live that they might be different than everyone else. I'm going to give them the rules of what they can eat and not eat so that they might not eat what everyone else is eating and fall into their traditions. So you look at this story and it's like, people are like, man, how could, how could God tell uh, his people uh, not to eat this or not eat that? Well, when you, go, when you fast forward the, 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 the story to Acts, it was never about like pork being evil. It was like, hey, don't eat pork, and that way, people will know you're one of mine. Hey, and don't do this, and don't do that, and, they, and he gave them the guidelines, and don't marry them. And people are like, how could a loving God not let people marry who they want? And it's like, at this point in human history, he's like, if you marry those people from those other nations and other tribes, I'm going to lose you, because there's no way that you're going to not start living their way and worshiping their God and doing their traditions. You've got to stay separate for a season. Because it was for the, the purpose of that was that the glory of God might be made manifest through the, his people. So, so now for generations and hundreds of years, from Exodus until Acts 10, the, the Jewish people have had a mindset of, we don't eat that, we don't touch that, we don't talk to them, we don't look at them, we don't marry them. And at this point in human history, and you'll, we'll, we'll see in a, in a minute, there, I mean, the level that Jewish people had went to try to isolate themselves They weren't supposed to interact with people from other nations. They weren't supposed to talk to them. They weren't supposed to just be around them because they missed part of the gospel. And we'll get there. But you guys kind of, are we tracking? So Peter is like, I'm Jewish. I'm like a really good Jew. And I've never done what you told us back in Exodus, what we're not supposed to do. I've been good. I've followed the rules. And he tells God, "Uh, no, I'm not going to eat that. And God says, do not call what I have made clean, common, or unclean. What a powerful moment. He's trying to rattle Peter a little bit and like, bro, you're missing it. You're you're deeming people unworthy of me. You won't even interact with them. And you missed the whole part that when Jesus showed up on the scene, he preached that the gospel was for the Jews and the Gentiles. And you loved that part where it was uh, the gospel is for the Jews. And you just stopped listening. And you missed it that that where before my glory was to be made known in the world through my people, now it's made known through Jesus. I don't need you to stop eating pork anymore. I don't need you to isolate yourself anymore. Jesus showed up and he fulfilled all that. But they missed that part. And because they missed that part, 
we're going to see in a moment when Peter interacts with Cornelius that the mindset of the Jewish people was still, you don't have access to God. You don't have access to the gospel. Acts 10 is forcing us to look in the mirror and ask the question, what things are we bringing to the table? What things are we bringing to church? In what ways are we, our experience, the way we were raised, who we were raised around, have contextualized the gospel and Jesus and church into what we know? This is what church looks like. This is who Jesus died for. This is who the gospel gets preached to. It doesn't get preached to other people. So just sit with that for a second, because on, on its head, people are probably like, I don't think that. But we'll ask some questions at the end, and we'll see. Okay, y'all with me? All right. This happened three times, and then the vision was over. So what happens next, I'll summarize. A few, I, I don't know how long, but a few, a few verses later, the men show up. Uh, the men from Cornelius show up, and they're like, hey, uh, come with us, Peter. The, uh, Cornelius had a vision, and he wants you to come with us. And so Peter agrees. And so we pick up in Acts 10, 25. Peter has made the journey back uh, and is uh, uh, approaching the home of Cornelius. And here's what we have, verse 25. Okay, so he's entering the home. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him. This is amazing. This picture, this has actually happened. This is real life. So Cornelius, again, he's a Gentile, like no one's told him what, how to do this thing. And so God shows up and he's like, hey, go send for this guy, Peter. I want you to bring him, home, bring him to your house. So Peter walks in and Cornelius falls down at his feet and begins to worship him. That's awkward. <laughs> this guy, the poor guy doesn't know. He's like, I guess that's why you're here. Like, I'm trying to, I, no one's told me how to, I'm trying my best here. And Peter's like, this is weird. So he says, um, Stand up, for I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many people gathered. And, okay, here we go. This is Peter showing you how Jewish he is. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when, when I was sent for, I came without objection. And I ask now then, why you sent for me? It's just the, the scene that's unfolding here is God is shaking his people. Now we've got them gathered. We've got the Roman centurion and a lot of people, I'm guessing family and friends. He's like, guys, come over. This God that I, I worship, he, he, he showed up in a vision. He wants me to uh, get this guy, Peter. I don't know what's about to happen, but y'all better come. This is going to be good. Peter shows up and is like, I'm not supposed to be here. And now when he says it's unlawful, he wasn't going to go to jail. It wasn't Roman law. It was, he was breaking Jewish cultural code. You weren't supposed to enter through the threshold of a door of a Gentile's house, let alone interact with them and talk to them and sit with them. But Peter's response, to his credit, God has shown me I should not call any person common or unclean. And then he says, so why am I here? Uh, the next couple of verses, Cornelius basically is like, um, here's the vision I had. Now you're supposed to talk to us, I think. And like, no one knows what's happening. They're like, why are we here? This is weird. And then this isn't on, on your slide, so just follow with me. Verse 34, this is what happens. 
Now here, I'll start in 33. This is Cornelius. Now, therefore, we are, all, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been co- uh, commanded to say by the Lord. What an opening, like, introduction. We've all gathered here for what you've been commanded to say, so go for it. So Peter opened his mouth. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to the Jews, to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea. And the next six or seven verses, Peter begins to unpack the gospel to this group of Gentiles, something he would have never thought he would ever do. And then something crazy happens. In Acts 10, 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, again, we can laugh and giggle, just read it as the Jews. The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Thus is the end of chapter 10. What a story. What a story that is meant to shake us out of thinking that Jesus and the gospel and the church is for white Republicans or for Democrats. (laughs) That was meant to be a comma, but everyone started hooting and hollering. Here's the the part where it might get a little uncomfortable. It's one thing to like, to try and comprehend what's happening in the story intellectually as you like grapple with like, okay, so there's Jews and Gentiles and they like didn't like each other and, 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 and so there's like division and, and this is a powerful story because that's not supposed to happen. Well, how do we bring it in 2019? Well, I think I just did it in one way. But no, that's like for real. We have to ask ourselves. We worship Jesus. We sing the songs. We believe He is the God of miracles. We believe the gospel is for the city and for the nation and for the nations of the world. But how many of us, like from our, not even, some of us not even because of our our own uh, doing, because we were raised in a certain way around certain people. We weren't exposed to different cultures or different ethnicities or different socioeconomic uh, uh, situations. And so we come into church and we're like, church is for me. Churches for people who look like me, who dress like me, who vote like me, who talk on Facebook like I do, who like all the same uh, uh, causes that I like, that's church. And if you start to stray outside of that, I I don't know if the gospel's for you. I don't know if you can come to church because you voted that or you posted that on Facebook. Y'all, I just, can we get rid of Facebook? I'm learning that there is power in social media. Just Let's get rid of that one. Let's just start with getting rid of one. Okay. But like this is what was happening. The, 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 the power behind Acts 10 is in you and I leaving tonight and asking ourselves the question, who have I reserved seats at the table for? 
Because we're really good at reserving seats at the table of the gospel for, for us. But us isn't the city. We're a part of the city. But y'all, there's a lot more to the city than the people that look like you and talk like you. This might not be the most diverse city in America, but it's more diverse than people realize. And we're not, like, if we're going to be the church and we're going to let things get a little messy, then we've got to wrestle with, are we okay that church isn't for all the people that make as much money as I do and vote like I do? And I don't have to keep making that same point over and over. I can move on. But I want to make one thing uh, clear but because I don't want anyone to leave with a lack of clarity. So God speaks and he says, don't call what I've made clean, unclean. And there are people that would love, and I understand why, to, to take that, that scripture and pull it out and say, look, this is in the New Testament. Look, everyone's clean. And everyone's right. And no one has to surrender themselves to the authority of the gospel. And no one has to be sanctified. And no one has to deny themselves. And no one has to pick up their cross. And because everyone's clean. And I get the desire to say that and to, and, and, and to want to believe it. But here's what I think it does. What it does is it nullifies the gospel. Because I think what if you read the story and you keep reading like we just did, he tells Peter, don't call what I've made clean, unclean. And then he sends him on a journey to the people that, that Peter thought were unclean to do what? Not to tell them that they're clean. Not to say, hey, I've always thought that you are unclean, but I guess I was wrong. You were right. And just keep doing what you're doing and worshiping whoever you're worshiping and being what, doing whatever you want to do. God said you're clean. No, he, he showed up to share the gospel. He showed up and he was like, hey, I... I thought you were unclean. I thought that your uncleanliness meant you don't even deserve the gospel. It means that you're not, it's not for you. You're not going to say yes anyway. This is for my people, the people that look like me and talk like me, that memorize scripture from the time they're two. Like that's who the gospel is for. And I was wrong. So what, what, we're, what we're saying here is not, hey, guess what? Go out and tell everyone they're clean. Like our mission is to tell people the gospel. And I've said it so many times. The gospel is one of the most offensive things you'll ever read, ever hear, ever understand. He basically read through that passage and read through all of Peter's sermons. And it's like the gospel is like, hey, you messed up. We're all messed up, broken people. And I don't know what your brokenness is. I, I, I don't know. All I know is that we're all broken. We all fall short without Jesus. We all need the gospel. That's the mission that Peter was sent on. And the Gentile, and in that moment, the Spirit gets poured out, and they believe, and they asked him to stay longer. So here, here's my question and, uh, to close us out tonight. What are the ways that we're reserving seats at the table for people that look like us? And how do we go to God with the gospel and say, and, and repent, and say, I, I'm a little like Peter here. I'm a little like, like the guy that was like, no, God, I don't touch that. I don't do that. Hey, I don't watch that. I don't read that. I'm good. I don't read that, that you know, news outlet. I don't watch that news. I don't, I don't do this. I, I'm a good this, that, and the other. I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. And we just disqualify people from hearing the gospel. 
And then we come here, and we're like, how can we come here? How can I come here and be like, the gospel's for everyone. The gospel's why we're here. Let's worship. Let's press in. Let's, let's get set free. But in my heart, I'm like, but it's actually only for people that think like I do. And there's people that I'm never going to invite to church because I don't like what they post on social media, or I don't like uh, the way they dress or the way they talk, or they don't make, you know, whatever. We're called to see revival in this city, and we've got to live Acts 10 if we're going to see it. And here's the hope. Here's the good news. What Acts 10 also tells us is God gives his spirit out to everyone. It's like Peter has been stingy. Some of the Jewish people have been stingy, and God's just waiting. He's just like, just someone go tell them. Someone just go get in their living room and just say a few words so that they can contextualize and understand what's about to happen. Because then it's like the spirit falls, and, and now they kind of know, like, oh, this is what's happening. Like, the hope that we have is that it doesn't matter where you and I fall on, or on, on political or economic or whatever. Like, he wants to pour a spirit out on us. And if we can, if we can, if we can just land there and say, you know what? We're going to let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. I don't break people free. I don't set people free. The Spirit does. Let's just, let's just give people the Spirit. Let's just put people in a position to receive the Spirit and let God do what He does. And the good news is that you and I get to be put in that position. That God looks at us and He doesn't say, hey, you messed up. I'm going to give my Spirit, I'm going to give my gospel to that person sitting behind you because they didn't mess up yesterday. But you did, so you're out. We got to try harder. We got to pay more. That's not the God we serve. The gospel is that there's hope for every single one of us. And like I said, there's people in this room. For those of us, I've been going to church like every week since I was four. I don't know. I don't remember what it's like to walk into a church and and be nervous, to be a little insecure. To wonder, what are people going to think of me? Did I wear the right clothes? Did I, am I going to say the right things? I hope that I can fit in somehow. We're a place, we're a people. The good news is, hey, look around. Don't point any fingers, don't say anything. Look, we're all messed up. We all probably messed up this morning. All yesterday. We, are all, we are all growing and leaning into Jesus and maturing and being sanctified. But there's not a perfect one among us. This is a place where we can wrestle and we can grow and we can fall forward into Jesus and we can accept the gospel is for us, that there's grace and there's mercy and there's power and there's freedom. And it's not because we have to be a certain type of person or come from a certain background. We just have to believe in the name of Jesus. That's what the city needs. And if we're honest, that's what we need. We need to be reminded of that all the time, that we live in light of the gospel. If you're here tonight and you don't, maybe you never heard the gospel or maybe you've never heard it that way or maybe you've never understood, here's the beauty. You don't have to pay more. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't, you, you have to believe in your heart, confess and profess with your mouth that Jesus did what he said he did. That when Jesus died on the cross, it was for you, it was for that you didn't have to pay the penalty of your brokenness. You didn't have to pay the penalty of your sin. Jesus did that. And he purchased hope and he purchased freedom and he purchased life both on earth and in heaven. I'm going to pray when the band come forward. And if, 
He's after our heart. He's been after our heart since day one. So I'm going to say a prayer that's meant to put you in a position to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You can make it your own words. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. But if all across the room, why don't we all bow our heads as we pray. Jesus, I need you. Thank you that I don't have to I don't, I don't have to earn your spirit. I don't have to be good enough to be loved. Thank you that you choose me. Lord, I've tried to do this on my own and I can't. I need you to be Lord. I need you to be Savior. I need you to be friend. Jesus, I believe you did what you said you did, and you are who you say you are, that you love me, you fight for me, you've been pursuing me, I say yes, come and have your way, amen.